0: Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to today's webinar. It's part of the Kinexus Continuous Improvement webinar series. It's titled Sustaining Continuous Improvement with Habit Science. I'm Mark Rabin. I am going to be host and moderator today. The two most important people here are our presenters. They are Morgan Wright, a customer marketing manager for Kinexus, and Greg Jacobson, CEO and co-founder. I will tell you a little bit more about them in a minute. This is part three in a series on habits. So um, thanks to all of you who have made it a habit to attend the webinars on habits. Um, next, please. Just a couple quick announcements. If this is your first time, though, attending, and you would like to learn more about Kinexis and our mission to spread continuous improvement and the ways that we do that through our software platform, you can visit our website at kinexus.com. One other announcement before I introduce Greg and Morgan. Um, As we've been doing recently, we've made a new habit of doing a book giveaway contest. Three books near and dear to Morgan and Greg's hearts and minds are going to be talking about today. Um, I'm going to be reaching out to the three of you. We'll decide. We'll figure out who gets which of these three great books. But congratulations to Rebecca Sanchez, Stephanie Corby, and Ravinder Birdie. Um, Thanks for entering. Thank you for sharing about the webinar on LinkedIn. That's the mechanism for um, entering the contest. So th- thank you for helping spread the word about um, these sessions. And we'll be doing that again in the future. So before I hand things off to Morgan and Greg, let me tell you a little bit about the, uh, the two of them real quick. Morgan Wright, again, she is our customer marketing manager at Kinexus. In her role, she partners with customers to develop and execute on a communication strategy to engage their organization in Kinexus. Morgan is from Austin and graduated from Baylor University with a degree in marketing. And then Greg Jacobson, uh, he is our co-founder and uh, CEO. He graduated from Washington University in St. Louis in 1997 with a BS in biology. He attended Baylor College of Medicine from 97 to 2001. After that, he completed a residency in emergency medicine at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, where he then stayed on as faculty. In 2004, Greg had the opportunity to share his observations and research around continuous improvement, published work that resulted um, in the founding of KineXis. So that article, um, I'll put a link to it in the chat here, an article about Kaizen, a method of process improvement in the emergency department as published in the journal Academic Emergency Medicine. So um, two presenters here who are um, have learned a lot and are very passionate about the applications of habits, and, and today more so about how to apply that to the habits of continuous improvement. So I'm excited. Off, off we go. Let me hand it over to to you two.
1: Okay. Well, thanks again, everybody, for joining. For those of you who are returning, thank you. For those of you who are new to our habit series, welcome. Uh, today we're going to be starting off with a quick agenda. So we'll be recapping some really important concepts from the prior webinars. As we've shared in our prior webinars, each of these are definitely meant to stand on their own. If you are new, no problem. That's why we're doing a little bit of a recap, uh, as well as we'll be diving into personas. What are personas and how do they apply here? Uh, We'll be talking through habit loops by persona, how these habit loops ultimately interconnect, and then how to sustain these habits in your organization. So starting off with this recap. So first off, we have shared this QR code. Scan here to check out our webinar library. This is where our prior two webinars live. And this is where this webinar will live as well. So we're starting off with a little bit of habit science. We'll get into the bog behavior model. We'll, of course, talk through the habit loop, the three laws of behavior change in habits, and then some habit concepts to remember when building your habits. Before we start into our habit science, of course, we want to share our must-reads. These are the three books that we gave away in our book series, um, as well as this is what everything is built off of in our habits uh, studying. Greg and I have been really at this for almost the past year now. We've been reading these books. We've been doing a lot of research. So this is where um, a lot of these concepts pull from. So if you haven't read these, we highly recommend them. And Greg, I'll give the floor to you to My talk to some me. habit science.
2: I'm super excited. Uh, it's interesting. Mark and I, uh, way back in the day, the webinar series was a lot of, of us doing webinars. And I thought we did some really important webinars on leadership behaviors in the um, webinar um, library that the QR code scanned. And, and I believe... This body of knowledge is uh, the second group of, of information that I think is just so critical for continuous improvement uh, coaches and the like to really understand. And I, I'm really, I'm just, just, I'll say it, I'm, I'm stoked that we're, we're getting to talk about this. I am, we've been working on this for, for quite some time. These are standalone we are going to review. I think we learn by reviewing. And so I think that it's helpful to build on these concepts and in, in that layered manner. And I'll start off by simply stating that I'm a physician. And so this would not be a talk without an anatomical slide. Um, we decided to go with the cartoon version um, of, of the brain versus uh, like an MRI or an, an anatomy um, specimen. But the, the 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 take-home concept here is that there has been a huge amount of knowledge gained over the last, let's say, 20 to 40 years in related to how we think, right? Some people refer to this as cognitive science or behavioral cognitive science. There's this whole um, economics um, discipline now all related to this. A lot of this has come from the you know PET scans and functional MRIs that we're able to do, and uh, kind of coming across this over the last five to seven years. I was just super attracted to how much it could influence me and how I could take this knowledge and change the behaviors that I wanted to change in myself. Whether those are adding positive behaviors or removing negative behaviors. And, and I wish I could say that I, I realized this earlier, but over the last year or so, we've realized all of this habit science can be applied at the organizational level. And if we as continuous improvement um, coaches, experts, leaders of an organization are mindful about how we apply this science, I really think we can move the needle in how we're going to create a culture of continuous improvement. So... of our behaviors we do because of habits and habits are wired into the brain in a slightly different way than many of the other memories and or behaviors that we do. And so to get into more depth in those, check out our other webinars, but suffice it to say, there's a lot of habit science. We're gonna be talking about the habit science related to sustainment and how an organization can sustain it. And the first concept that I think is super important to to be reminded of is the FOG behavior. Well, before I jump in there, um, we're gonna do it a little differently. The beginning of the the talk, I am the primary commentator and Morgan is giving color, and then you'll see it will switch there. But Morgan, did you have anything you wanted to add that I didn't touch on?
1: I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. If you want to dig in more, definitely check out webinar number one.
2: So I really loved this this, uh, diagram. So just take a second to understand what's going on here. We have the x-axis. It's um, on ability. So something's really hard to do is on the far left of it. Something really easy to do is on the far right of it. And then look at the y-axis is motivation. We start thinking about if something's really easy to do and you're really motivated to do it like that dot in the, the blue dot in the diagram there, the chance that you're going to be able to do it and you're going to do that action is incredibly high. You're on the right or upper side of that action line. If something's really hard to do and you're not very motivated to do it, the chances are that you're not going to do it. And so I've given the example of, of my daughter. We have uh, been trying to design a habit of her feeding our dogs and I'll just quickly say that she has the ability to feed the dogs. The dog food is right there. And we have learned that she's actually motivated to. She really likes to care for the dogs. And so she is on the right side of that action line. And we'll we'll learn the fact that that does not necessarily mean that the habit's going to be created just from those two other things. It's going to take a couple other things. But as y'all are thinking through from a, from a CI standpoint, as you're thinking through I need to make sure that my folks that I'm working with in my organization not only have the ability to do something, which means that the easier I make it for them to participate in that, and then the motivation they have is high enough to be able to do it, then they're going to be on the right side of that action line.
1: Yeah, and I think something important to know here is that And it talks a lot in in several of the different books about this concept of motivation. And we all don't, unfortunately, wake up with 100% motivation every single day. So, you know, as we'll get into in a bit, we need kind of this third element to remind us to do this action so that we don't have to rely on motivation every single day because ultimately that's going to fail. So then, of course, you guys remember the habit loop. Hopefully, if you are new here, this is kind of our, our main concept of how we're applying this to CI organizations to Kinexus customers. So um, as you can see here, it has three parts that kind of makes it this loop. So the first being the queue. So that's what we are kind of talking about a minute ago with that motivation. That cue, that reminder, is really, really important in order to keep things moving. Um, Of course, we have the routine. That'll be different upon everybody's organization and everybody's roles within the organization. Uh, Their routines will differ. Uh, And then that reward. So what we mean by reward, again, if you've been to our past webinars, you know what we mean by reward is not necessarily monetary. What we mean is this recognition piece that's going to be hitting that dopamine system in our brain to tell us this routine is good, right? It's a earning a badge in the system. It's a getting a good job from an executive or a leader for submitting an idea or doing whatever that routine needs to be done in the system to ultimately continue that habit loop and to uh, increase that energy uh, to keep it going.
2: That's great. I think if you're, if you're thinking through truly designing something out, you really need to make sure that there, is, there are cues, the routine fits the behavior model, and that there are rewards. And if something or someone or a group is not doing this, then really go study that person group with this in mind.
1: That's a great point. So the next part is, okay, so how do we start actually building these habits? A little bit easier said than done sometimes. So these three laws of behavior change are pulled from atomic habits, James Clear. And they're simply a set of rules that we can follow to ultimately build better habits. So this is really just designed as a framework for each stage of habit formation. So Clear uses four. We've ended up kind of putting it into three. The reasoning... Behind that being, as you can see here, we have, okay, how can we make it obvious and attractive? How can we make it easy and how can we make it satisfying? So that fits perfectly. Going back to the habit loop, make it obvious and attractive is that cue, that reminder. Of course, we want that reminder to be obvious. We want it to be attractive. Make it easy, of course, is that routine, especially in the beginning. It's important that that routine is Really easy. It's not going to be too big of a hurdle to get your your people to do it, and then of course make it satisfying. That reward is all about making it satisfying, hitting that dopamine system, and really encouraging people to continue to do that habit. The next thing we want to share. Oh, go ahead, Greg.
2: As we're thinking through reward, I wanted to um, just touch on the one concept. We we talk about this more in the other webinars that we're not talking about incentives as much as we're talking about things that are going to trigger the dopaminergic system. So there's something about getting a badge. There's something about a person um, getting recognition from either their coworkers or their leaders or senior leaders of an organization. There's something um, satisfying about... Seeing um, a, a, perhaps a change that happens in a system um, that that they that they enacted, and that's different than an incentive. An incentive m- might I- I be related to um, oh well, if you do this, then you will get ten percent of the savings that this I- this idea creates, or, or something along those lines. Um, if you want to dive deeper into the psychology of that, I, I would um, also. Uh, have you look at the things such as external versus internal um, incentives and uh, and Daniel Pink's book drive does a great job of talking about when external versus internal um, and incentives are, 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 are needed in there. So,
1: yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned incentives, Greg, I think an easy way to distinguish between incentives versus rewards being rewards typically follow that routine pretty closely or as closely as possible versus incentives are a bit further out in the future. So your brain can't necessarily connect the routine to that incentive very easily. And then of course, we want to share a couple of these concepts. So these are going to be really important when building and sustaining these new habits. So of course, this concept of identity, we've talked about a lot. I'm the kind of person who Finish that sentence with the kind of identity you want to embrace. In a CI culture, it might be, I'm the kind of person who shares ideas. Uh, That can be a little daunting. You know, what if somebody doesn't like my idea? What if it doesn't get moved forward? But if you keep kind of telling yourself and keep practicing, you know, I'm the kind of person who shares ideas. I'm the kind of person who solves problems. Ultimately, that will continue and ultimately become your identity. Uh, You share improvement ideas. And the next, this is one of my favorite concepts, is this idea of goals versus systems. I feel like you can really easily use this, whether it's in your personal life or in your professional life in a CI setting. So, you know, personal, I'm trying to eat healthy or in a CI setting, you know, I'm trying to roll out a new software and really trying to get everybody to ultimately use it and increase that engagement. So this idea of this is our big goal can be a bit future focused, right? This is our goal, but how do we reach it? Right. I want to eat healthy, but what do I have to do every day? Or how can I set myself up for success to ultimately reach that goal? So those everyday actions are going to be the system. So we want to make sure that there are systems in place every day. They may feel small, but ultimately those act as the building blocks to reach your goal. And then 1% better. So we talk about this a lot as well. So going small, I mentioned that earlier. It's really important in the beginning for our routines to be small. So there's no excuse to actually do it, right? Uh, So this concept of 1% better, this compounds over time, right? Day-to-day, being 1% better or being 1% worse, not too big of a change in your day-to-day life. But as time goes on, that change becomes very evident and that gap increases between the people that have done 1% better and the people that have done 1% worse. So all this to say that small habits feel small today, but they go a long way.
2: We felt that that these three concepts were really important in the, the theme of the, of the, the third episode, the, Mark uh, made, made the joke that this is what "Return of the CI," um, the episode three, and uh, because it was, it was a
0: bad Star Wars joke on my part. Bad Star Wars, yeah. It was good. Uh, it
2: was, so. So I want to give a, a, a little bit of um, um, color to to these three concepts. So one on the identity one. So the, the one of the examples I, I think it may have been in Clear's example um, the the difference between saying. I am trying to quit smoking versus I'm not a smoker. I'm trying to eat healthier versus I'm a person that eats healthy. Yeah. It When you focus on the identity versus the action, it helps make all of your micro decisions for you. So let's apply this to an organization. We're the kind of organization that huddles we're the kind of organization that does 5S. We're the kind of organization that does structured problem solving. That is very different than, oh, we're trying to huddle every morning. We're trying to do structured problem solving. And so um, that slight change in the mindset of, are you focusing on the action versus the identity um, is uh, really uh, conceptual. It, It helps all the micro decisions. I think goals versus systems is completely understood in the CI community, right? I mean, we we always say let's not focus on people, let's focus on processes. That's essentially what we're doing. The the beauty of this, from a behavioral standpoint, is if you say, "Well, I have a goal of running a marathon," well, then what happens once you run the marathon? Are are you done? Versus, oh, I want to build a system of, of me being a runner. Well running a marathon will just be part of the, the process of, of doing that. So I think there are, um, there, there is a place to have goals, but if you focus on the systems then the goals are almost a side effect. And then I think the 1% better applies to, to CI really well in that whenever we start working with an organization and we'll just say they're, they're um, implementing Kinex's, um and they, the people that try to do too much, that try to boil the ocean on week one, inevitably have a much harder time getting traction from a long-term perspective. But th- those that, you know, start in a systematic way and start, you know, spreading the behavior and the concepts, you know, location by location, department by department, end up, yes, they, they get 1% better every week or 1% better every month, but over the, those compounded gains are, are really appreciable when you pull back on your time frame.
1: Absolutely. Okay, so not everyone's the same. Greg, I'm going to give this one to you. All
2: right, so you're buying into the fact that habits are science and that we can use habit um, science to change behavior and that we can apply this to an organization. And uh, there's a whole bunch of concepts around that. So it's like, great, well, let's go ahead and start designing the types of system that you want to do. And uh, we start thinking, was like, great, well, it sounds like we need to go build a habit loop. So um, the, the, the issue with making the decision that's saying, well, not everyone's the same, so we have to go build a unique habit loop for every single person in the organization, it's totally not scalable, right? <laughs> one is not scalable and two is not needed. But if you had a thousand people in an organization, 10,000 people in an organization, trying to build a habit loop for every single person cannot be done by a one to 50 person CI team. And so we introduce a concept that is used heavily in both marketing, and in product design, and, and that's the concept of personas. Uh, Morgan, you want to explain personas?
1: Yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of background about personas. So I know that we shared kind of on a high level during our last webinar what personas are, but we really um, introduced personas. Uh, they They intertwine with the habit loops. So closely. So we just want to explain a little bit about the why. So as Greg mentioned, you may be familiar with the term persona. We definitely did not make it up, but these are the personas that we have in Kinexis. So we have our executive persona, of course, this being C-suite, higher level people. They need, they typically need a a higher level view of what's going on in your CI culture. The CI coach is, you know, of course, more on the ground. CI is a big part of your day-to-day work. That leader, that middle manager. Sometimes they run a team, there may be a team lead. And then, of course, that frontline user is going to be kind of on the ground doing the work, submitting those ideas. So, of course, all four being such important pieces to our puzzle. But like Greg mentioned, when we started thinking about this concept of habit loops, of course we can't create an individual habit loop for everybody in your organization. It's not scalable. It's not possible. That's, I mean, talk about starting small. It's starting huge. That would be close to impossible to pull off. So by using these personas and ultimately creating a habit loop for just the four of them, we just need to create four habit loops versus a thousand.
2: I would say that these are the personas that you find in Kinexus, but these are the personas that, are, that, that we've really identified in working with hundreds of organizations outside of the conceptual framework of Kinexus. And so I think you can go into any organization and group all the kinds of people at an organization and how they interact with continuous improvement into one of these four buckets. If by all means your organization has a fifth or sixth bucket um, for your personas, then that's great. You can, you can have a, a fifth or sixth bucket. This, this framework seems to work really well. Um, you, you can't have 100 personas. <laughs> that doesn't really help. So once you start getting more than, you know, let's say 10 or 15 personas, it starts to lose some of the value of what personas are bringing to the table.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. This is what we have in Kinexis, but definitely can be uh, applied outside of just Kinexis customers. Okay, so we're talking about personas, we're talking about habit loops. So, how do we start to pull it all together? So, as you can see here, we've just combined our, our Kinexis champion, our CI coach. They are two different personas, but they tend to have similar responsibilities and roles. So, for the sake of this, we're just going to combine them. So, of course, they have their own cues, they have their own routines, they have their own rewards. You'll say the same thing for executives, they have their own cues, their own routines, their own rewards. Same thing for our leaders, our middle managers, and same things for our frontline users here. So here you can kind of start to see, okay, we have four different habit loops, but how do they start to work together? We talked on the agenda earlier about this interconnection. So we'll start to kind of piece by piece share with you how all of these ultimately work together. But first we wanted to share an example of what a habit loop might be for executive Greg and I were talking about this earlier and I know that he loves the executive habit loop. So I want you to go ahead and walk through this.
2: You are are very kind, Morgan. So (laughs) I am a huge, I I think this is one of the most important habit loops um, at an organization. We have not seen thriving CI cultures, broad based, very impactful CI cultures that last for a really long time without executive slash um, senior leader, um, not only buy-in, but also participation involved in the process. And so and this is something that we've uh, been really trying to make sure that Kinexus provides a environment that uh, it makes it easy for executives, not only to see the information they need to see, but also to engage in the system. And so it's uh, an area near and dear to my heart. But let's just go through what the executive habit loop might look like. So if you're trying to get an executive bought into and or re- in a recurring way engaging with the continuous improvement work, it, it might need to start out with you as a CI coach scheduling a meeting, whether that's every week, whether that's every month, in some sort of cadence every other week, some sort of cadence with that executive. So you're sitting down, you're a Kinexis customer, you're, they're logging into Kinexus, they're, they're going through this routine that you're going to walk them through. It might literally be just a 15-minute meeting um, with them. Other cues, which, which Morgan will go into um, for other um, um, personas are simply anything that's going to remind someone to do something. So for instance, going back to my daughter, getting her to feed the dog, we thought, okay, well, we need a cue of something that she does every day because we, we were just trying to do the evening feed, not the not the morning. Um, well, she eats dinner every night. And so that was the cue conceptually to get her to feed the dogs. And so let's talk quickly about the, the routine that we might want a executive to do. So there's probably two things that we want executives to do. One, we want them to, to look at the data, look at the participation, look at the activity, look at the impact look back at, at how things are progressing on strategic areas. The other thing that we've noticed is really important is for, for executives to meaningfully engage in the work. And I understand that they may not be able to devote 30 hours a week to this, but they should be able to devote 15, 30 minutes a week, a month, maybe it's an hour a month. Um, so I think the, the best example uh, I, I know of um, is, is Dr. Eric Dixon at UMass Memorial where, he is the CEO of a 17 18,000 person organization and he goes to um, he goes to Huddle Rounding um, once or twice a week. That is a huge amount of um, um, one commitment, but but what that shows and what that tells the organization is that from the very top. Doing this type of rounding, collecting ideas. They have a really amazing idea um, process. Collecting these ideas and solving problems locally and spreading them if they're important is really important to the organization. So if you're a Kinexis customer, you can design a board for the executive to log into, curate a list of items, and have them comment, like, acknowledge um, something. They can do that in a, in a nice time-efficient way. If you're not a Kinexis a customer, I think going on gamble walks is a really visible way to do things. Showing up at a huddle, going and being curious, sending emails referring to this. This is something that they need to do in a disciplined way. You can't just do it once and it just lasts forever. And and finally, even executives will need a reward. Um, we we are all wired the same way, if if you will. And so that reward to them might be just having the satisfaction of of knowing, oh, I understand the amount of activity going on. Oh, I see the metrics improving. I will also say though, that um, I would not underestimate the value of badges. And so, um, I would set up badges for and make sure that they're they're on for the executive. seeing, you know a badge of how many times um you've uh, logged in how many you know weak streaks you have um w-e-e-k not w-e-a-k um weak uh, long streaks you have um is uh, it definitely triggers something i i um I, I mentioned earlier today my wife the luddite who has now because of the duolingo streaks been working on her Spanish, I think, for over 100 days in a row now. So um, we're all wired similarly and making sure that even our executives um, have a reward designed in their their habit loop is going to be really important.
1: Absolutely. Okay, so we're starting to talk about this interconnection. So of course, it's got to start off with the CI coach identifying and helping those other personas figure out what is their routine uh, you know, we, I think we've discussed it earlier. We wish it was as easy as, okay, train once or say, here's your routine, go ahead. And everybody will just go off to the races. But unfortunately, you know, that's not how we work. That's not how humans work. That's why we shared a recap in the beginning. We need to hear something a couple of times for it really to stick. Right? So as a CI coach, it's going to be so important that you're setting up, uh, Whether it's an ongoing training or ongoing reminders, cues, you may say, uh, to set up and make sure that everybody understands that routine and ultimately makes it become a routine. But not only does the CI coach need to help them with that routine, they need to help with that cue and that reward as well. So this is a big part of what I do here at Kinexus is I'm helping people to identify What are some cues and rewards that we can set up within posters, within an email cadence, um, an improvement of the month campaign? What can we do to uh, remind people about Kynexis and about CI in general? This could absolutely be applied beyond Kynexis. Okay, so of course, we know it's not all up to the CI coach to make everything run, right? Of course, that's your day to day work, but Ultimately, you'll start to see how these habit loops interconnect with each other. So we can see here, you know, we've got our executive habit loop, we've got our leader habit loop, and ultimately we can see, okay, our executive routine is going to affect the cue and the reward for our leader, for our middle manager. So like the example we used a minute ago. So an executive's routine could be spending 15 minutes a week liking and commenting on items within the system. So, as a leader, it can be a cue for leaders who aren't so engaged to say, "Oh, wow, my executive is spending time and is is liking and commenting and acknowledging items. i better I better get in there and do what I need to do, right?" If your executive is doing it, that really trickles down to show the importance to everybody else. And it could be a reward for those who are doing what they need to do in the system. If my executive comments, great job, or acknowledges, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to continue to do what I need to do in Kinexis and to ultimately be excited about this idea that my executive thinks is a good idea, too. And then you'll start to see this pattern, right? So you'll start to see each persona's routine is going to affect the cue and the reward for the other persona. So, you know, quickly an example here could be those huddles. So Greg and I have talked a lot about having this huddle cadence, whether it's weekly, whether it's bi-weekly. So if you're a leader and your routine is to run the weekly huddle, you know, as a frontline, the cue could be, I know I have this huddle coming up, you know, I need to... Uh, keep that idea moving along that I'm working on with my peer in Kinexus, or I need to make sure that I'm I'm engaging and I'm doing what uh, is expected of me within the system. Uh, the reward could be for those who are. I mentioned the idea of a improvement of the month campaign. If I'm an improvement of the month, or if I get shouted out during that huddle meeting, again, that's that recognition piece that's going to hit that dopamine and really encourage people to continue to do that routine and to ultimately make it a habit. So you can see here, and I'm not going to walk through each of these, but you see this pattern continuing, routine to the cue and to the reward of the other personas. So ultimately, you see it get a little crazy here, but that's why we wanted to break it down kind of persona by persona to show you it may look like a lot of lines here. Oh my gosh, like what is going on? How can we do this? But if we really break it down piece by piece, you see how if everybody is doing their habit loop individually, it's ultimately going to help positively affect the habit loops of everybody else. So if we can get everybody working together, of course, not just the CI coach, but if you can support everybody in doing their routine and ultimately those cues and those rewards will positively affect the energy of everybody else's.
2: And this really needs to be intentionally designed. I think this is one of the one of the reasons why i'm um, doing continuous improvement work is so exciting but also so difficult because there's elements of you know, cognitive science behavioral science um, um, change management um, organizational psychology um, psychological safety there's all these a huge number of disciplines that i just mentioned I haven't even talked about the improvement discipline, you know, of doing A3s or DMAGs or PDSAs or 5S. I would, so you have to you have to have this core knowledge of how to do the improvement work, but then you have to have all this ancillary knowledge on how to uh, make that improvement work happen. So I can appreciate just how difficult um, it is to, um, to do this effectually. But I, I think that one of the um, things that we if we go into this with an eyes wide open, we need to intentionally design how everyone's behaviors are going to positively influence everyone else's behaviors. We can start to see how can we create a sustainable culture, one where it's not taking just heroics from a CI team to, to constantly day in and day out uh, make sure the, the needle is moving. And so uh, this, this framework, I, I, this, this came to us in, in, Kind of studying this and realizing that once you go from an individual behavior and then moving that to an organizational behavior, it all needs to be aligned and, and designed intentionally.
1: So our kind of fun example, and I hope you can follow us here, this idea of your CI culture is kind of like a car, right? We talk about all these interconnections. Everybody's habit loop needs to work properly in order for the next persona's habit loop to work properly as well. So, what do we mean by your CI culture is like a car, right? We can say the executive is like the steering wheel, right? They're deciding the direction. The leaders are like the engine. The CI coach is the gas. The front line are like the wheels, right? Of course, there's so many other components to a car, but you can't have all of these working if you take away one, right? A car without a steering wheel loses direction, or a car without the wheels. You really can't move forward. Okay, so before we share a couple more stories, Greg has some awesome stories to share with us here towards the end. We wanted to share a few more concepts that we feel are really important in this idea of sustaining these organizational habits. So we've talked through these concepts of building them, but we want to jump into okay, once we've built them, how do you ultimately sustain them? So, this first idea is going to be accountability. So, in a lot of the books, they talk about this idea of an accountability partner. Um, you find this a lot maybe with these more uh, individual personal habits that you're trying to create, but we believe that this can definitely be applied to your CI culture as well. So, you know, as humans... Of course, we care deeply what people think about us. We don't want people to think, oh, you know, they're not doing what they need to do. Uh, if we create some kind of accountability partner or if your team can become your accountability, knowing that somebody's going to be keeping you accountable, we keep using this word, is going to ultimately encourage you to continue to do what you need to do um, and act as that cue ultimately to remind you.
2: To, to give a real life example, I think, for, for one, I know, we, Morgan, you and I probably should talk whether the word accountability should be responsibility here. But um, you, those are almost interchangeable. They just language matters, as we'll see in a minute. Um, but the, the idea is, is I think, for different personas, uh, accountability or responsibility might mean different things. So that, that's one concept to remember. And then to to add uh, or uh, an example of an accountability partner. Um, so an example of that in, in real life, I had a, a friend who last summer I was talking with and he said, Oh, I bought this really fancy um, guitar and I have literally never played it once. And I was like, Oh wow. And he said, yeah, I think, I think I need to get some lessons. And, and I was just had having played the guitar now for seven years without lessons. And then last year starting to get lessons, I was telling him about how amazing these lessons were. And I said, well, you know, I don't really know if you need lessons at this point. Um, here are a couple of YouTube videos that show you how to do the, the CG and D chords. And you just need to kind of bang at it for like five to 10 minutes a day for 30 days. If you can do that, then I think you'll be ready for a teacher and, and to get lessons. And, um, and I just said, cool, I, you just need to text me um, every time you just record for 30 seconds that you did it and, and send it to me. And his 30 days took about six months. Um, didn't take 30 days, but he got 30 days under his belt, whereas before the prior three years, he got zero days under his belt. That same concept can you can utilize as, as a CI coach where instead of you having to do all the coaching with everyone, if you have a leader or a location group that's doing really well, that's doing really good work, you could combine them, connect those two leaders together, um, and say, "Hey, can y'all be accountability partners to each other?" And you're doing amazing work; they're struggling, and and see if they can't um, help each other. So, I think I think all these concepts can be applied into the CI culture role.
1: Absolutely. Okay, so our next concept is to establish some kind of system of reflection. So, really, what we mean by this is. Of course, reflection and review is a process that allows us to really remain conscious of our performance over time and have that opportunity to make adjustments where needed. So I think this is so important in, you know, your let's say your CI culture has been around a long time and you're used to doing something a certain way. You know, don't discredit, you know, as a CI culture, we're all about making improvements and growing. So, you know, don't discredit creating some kind of annual reflection system or something where you can say, okay. Although we've been doing it this way a long time, there's always room for improvement. There's always room for changes. So, you know, of course, as a CI leader, it's your job to be open to feedback and to improvement. So uh, establishing this kind of active reflection can be really important in your, your CI journey.
2: And I think also it makes sense for, for CI people with, you know, PDSA, it's kind of built into this process. So if the action you're doing is, okay, I'm spreading a huddle process and every week you're spreading it to a new, a new place, really reflect every time you do that. Is there an improvement we can make? Um, I, I think to speak to Morgan's point though, having a quarterly monthly annual larger reflection on how things are going is going to really kind of allow you to sit back and okay, let's, Let's retake out our habit loops. Let's relook at the initial design of the system and see if it's working and what kind of tweaks we make.
1: Definitely. So our next being, and Greg kind of mentioned this earlier, I think without even meaning to, is this idea of habits forming from frequency, not from time. So using your friend's guitar example, right? Let's say he's been practicing for six months, but... It's not necessarily about that time period that you've been sporadically practicing or sporadically getting into Kinexis or sporadically doing improvement work. You know, it's important to do that frequency, right? We keep talking about this creating a cadence. So whether it's every day, every week, every month, making sure that that frequency is there is really going to be monumental in creating these sustainable habits. And then our last concept before I hand it over to Greg being this language matters. We know how much language matters, but it is so important to frame our language to be positive. Um, You can definitely frame habits that may seem undesirable or like another thing that they have to do every day, but by showing the value of you, by using positive language can go a long way and not only using positive language, but explaining the why behind a change. Um, I've seen this, of course, working in communication has been so monumental in really getting people to ultimately uh, adopt something new, showing, you know, the what's in it for me. Of course, it's going to be everyone's kind of first question when you introduce something new. Okay, well, how does this help my daily work? And, you know, how can this not just be something additional on my plate. So making sure that you're using that right language, that positive language is going to go a long way in really reaching
2: your people. So Morgan, are you saying I have to do the next part? Or are you this saying- This is
1: up to you because we're I doing a couple of the
2: stories. Are you saying I get to do this next
1: part? I get to do it. Exactly. There you go. <laughs>
2: it's, the little, it's these tiny little things that that it. they sound almost stupid, um, when, when you say it, oh, to, to go from, oh, I have to go do a huddle, or I get to go do a huddle. Um, it's uh, um, truly these little uh, tricks of language as you're communicating it out can make a make a huge difference. So, um, okay. Now, you didn't realize what I was doing there, so we went to the Keystone Habits and organization. So I'm going to talk about, I think, um, the culmination of, of all this body of work um, and how... What an organization like the holy grail of what an organization is trying to do is to develop a keystone habit, and so let's talk about that. So, Alcoa is a um, is a, a an aluminum manufacturing organization, huge multinational. Uh, m- many people in the CI community, <coughs> <coughs> excuse me, I know about <coughs> Paul O'Neill and him taking over in 1987 or so. Um, And so um, Alcoa had not been doing um, financially as well as it it had in the past. And they also keep in mind, um, uh, manufacturing aluminum is a hugely dangerous process. And so in the opening um, presentation he was giving to um, the stakeholders, to his his, uh, his stock owners, um, everyone's like, "Okay, Paul, what are you going to do? What what are we going to focus on? How are we going to turn this company around? And he he proceeded to spend the next hour talking about safety, and about how safety was going to become the most important thing that Alcoa could do in um, turning this around. This was in the backdrop of there being a lot of tension and miscommunication, discommunication between kind of the leadership as well as the front line, and um, everyone kind of looked at him at the end and was like, I think. I think Paul is completely missing the concept. <laughs> we have a uh, an organization that's heading in the wrong direction and he's talking about safety. And um, so over the next, uh, over the next years, um, one of the things that they did at Alcoa was um, one, they focused on safety. Safety is an amazing thing to focus on because it's really hard to argue that you don't want to have a safer environment, especially in an environment that's so dangerous. And so um, they they developed this was before email right we're in eighty seven they developed a, a way to communicate um, between all the different factories about safety um, things that they discovered they realized oh well if you change this tool from you know this configuration to that configuration it um, it's a much safer tool to use and so the, the the plant manager was responsible for disseminating that information out through this electronic system and. Um, after about a year of doing this and, and really um, moving the needle, um, one, alcoa became one of the safest uh, places to work period, but especially in the type of industry they were in, they were like they were off the charts on the uh, the bell curve. Um, but someone realized, well wait a minute, I, I'm noticing local uh, market trends that if I could disseminate that information, to the other factories, it could give a competitive advantage to Alcoa. Um, And so this person started not only communicating about safety issues, but also communicating about market trends and and market um, 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 uh, things that were going on. And through this process, um, Alcoa became really safe, but also Alcoa became really financially successful. Um, It probably created a lot of emotional um, connectivity um, between the different groups, it also created some tactical advantages, as I mentioned. And what what people in the the especially in the organizational science um, habit science um, um, areas would refer to this is is what's called a keystone habit. So just like a keystone in an arch is you know the most important. Um, stone. A keystone does not make an arch, but it is the, the focal point of where all the pressure of an arch comes. Um, when you develop a keystone habit, you develop an ability to scaffold a, a, a bunch of other habits. And so, um, for instance, a, a keystone habit for me in, in my personal life was when I um, ruptured my ACL, I started a process of doing all my um, physical therapy. And I started the process where I was like, okay, if I don't get this physical therapy done before I go to work, it just isn't happening. And so I started literally with a tiny, tiny change where as soon as I got out of bed, I put on my workout gear to make sure I did my, my other um, habits that, that ultimately unbeknownst to me developed into a keystone habit where I was able to latch on many, many other habits. And so at your organization, as you're thinking through the intentionality of designing, the the behavioral organizations that you want to do, I would challenge you to think through what is going to be the keystone habit? Is it going to be doing A3s? Is it going to be daily huddles? Is it going to be managing strategic work on on X matrices? Is it going to be you know, um, having a discipline of 5S throughout. But um, whatever that is, we've, we've seen examples of, of lots of of, of lots of things ultimately becoming a keystone habit, to uh, have that conceptual framework that if we can get this one thing done really well, then we can start building off of it. We, we saw, I, I found a keystone habit. We were visiting um, one of our customers, San Mateo, and um, they have been using Kinexus to to log incidences. Um, whether it was a good catch or, or whether it was a harm incident, this is part of, of healthcare organizations in general. They're using Kinexis to do this. And so I was super interested to, to see what one of these looked like. We were on site kind of learning about what they do. And the person I was talking to, I was like, oh, let's pull this one up. And he pulled up an incident. And it, once we started reading about it, it was an idea that a nurse had that ultimately was something that would just... Make patients happier. It was a complete it was a patient satisfaction idea by any stretch of what you were you were reading. that was one hundred percent what it was. And we had realized that San Mateo had gotten so good at people like us do things like this. We don't sweep um incidents under under the under the rug. We report on them and we study them and we figure out if there's a process change that they have created a keystone habit and it started latching on all sorts of improvement work related to this. So, Keystone Habits. Okay, I think that wraps up our side. Will Morgan, should we hand it over to
0: Mark?
1: Hand it over to Mark.
0: Okay. You, you have to, or you get to? <laughs> we get to hand <laughs> it over to Mark. <laughs> I, I get to make some announcements. So thank you, Greg and Morgan, and, and please everyone keep submitting uh, questions. We'll take those in a second. A few announcements. Next month, we are going to do a panel discussion with, uh, it's still coming together, me and Greg and a couple other um, Kinexus leaders to do a panel discussion about cultivating a culture of learning from mistakes. Um, so the date is TBD, we will announce that. And uh, a lot of the discussion is um, based around, it's somewhat a, a celebration of book launch event uh, for my book, upcoming book, The Mistakes That Make Us. That includes a lot of great stories from Kinexus and we're really excited to be able to share that. With people, so um, the fact that you've attended this webinar, you will get an email about the registration being open for that next one. We also invite you to invite uh, to visit our blog blog.kinexus.com. We we'll also invite you to check out the podcast if you would rather listen than read. You can go to slash podcast if you want to go back and re-listen to the audio of today's webinar. Or if you want to share it with others, um, the webinar. Um, audio will be in there later today. We encourage you to subscribe or follow via your favorite podcast app. And then with that, um, email addresses for Greg and Morgan and myself are on the screen here if you have particular follow-up questions, but we have some time here to address some questions live. So thank you, and, and please keep submitting those. Hey, Greg, there's one that you've, you, you typed a text answer to, but it might be good to cover um verbally for everybody here, real quick. Right. Roy asked, what other brain chemicals are needed to get motivation? Is dopamine the only element um, that creates impact? What about serotonin, endorphins, oxytocin?
2: Yeah, so I think those are great. So one, I'll just reference, and, and maybe Mark, while I'm referencing this, you could grab the, the link and put it into the chat. But I, I think the place where I've learned the most from these concepts is from Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last. And so just to quickly go through these these hormones, um, serotonin and oxytocin are thought to be very high in organizations, in high-performing organizations. So serotonin is more of a, for one, it's SSRIs, the um, um, antidepressants, um, are working on serotonin, and so serotonin makes you feel safe um, if it's in high high levels. And um, oxytocin is it makes you feel kind of included um, as well. So I, I could be flipping those from an organizational psychology standpoint, but but really, it's like this feeling of inclusion, feeling of connection, feeling of safety. Those are are, are two hormones that are very interrelated to that. And, um, endorphins is, um, is one that, um, endorphins are created after you exercise. And so, um, they are very closely related to the, um, the neurotransmitter of opioids. And so after a run or after, that's why they say you need to get about 30 minutes. I think that's once the endorphins really get going. Um, your body just feels amazing. And, um, that, that can lead to, that habit loop where if you have the cue and then you do the routine of the workout, and then you, um, then you end up getting that surge of endorphins, a person that, you know, might be in their late forties and having body aches and creaks and pains coming up after they do a workout, all those go away. And so I think that many of those things are interrelated to helping to create motivation, I think that there's an interesting connection, and I won't completely answer the second question with that. But I, I think that in organizations that have high levels of serotonin and oxytocin, people are going to feel more psychologically safe, and therefore they will be more motivated to engage in a process that, quite frankly, can be very intimidating. It's very intimidating to ask people to say, Hey, I'd like for you to stop checking your brain at the door, and I want you to bring your brain at your desk or at your workplace because. One, you matter, and two, your ideas and observations matter, and we want to hear from them. And it is very exposing to um, very. It's a it's an act of vulnerability um, to to say, "Hey, I had this idea that maybe we could do this," or "I made this observation," and so I think that many of these um, many of these. I mean, we are a collection of uh, an or, uh, a. Business is a collection of people and a collection of people are, uh, you know, a collection of hormones <laughs> All kind of organized in a certain way. So I'm glad that, um, oh, wow. Tim, the person that answered that didn't even, um, oh, no, that's not the person that read it. Okay. That's
0: a different question, but it segues a little bit. You mentioned psychological safety, Greg. Um, Tim asked a question um, so along those lines using, I think, different words. Um, has your team researched the field? of social emotional learning, or SEL, and its applications in areas like emotional security, people feeling safe to take risks and make mistakes as they learn, sort of building a philosophy of fall seven times, get up eight. I mean, we're going to cover that a lot in the panel discussion in June, but if either of you want to share about that.
2: I would love to defer to you, Mark. I feel like you you know more about this than than I do. Everything I know I've learned from you on this topic, so...
0: Well, but I'll give credit to to Greg and the the whole team at KyNexis for really diving in to study um psychological safety, not just conceptually of of what it means, but how to um, strengthen habits that um, help strengthen um, psychological safety. So maybe I don't know maybe that's a part four we can collaborate on. Really? Habits around the habits of leaders uh, modeling vulnerable acts and rewarding. Vulnerable acts. Where a vulnerable act is anything we do that um, exposes us to the risk of loss or harm, right? So, admitting a mistake, taking a risk, disagreeing with the boss—those are all things that, in some workplaces, could lead to harm, right? So, leaders can 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 um, you know uh, model these behaviors by being first to admit a mistake, encouraging others to do the same, and then making sure you're rewarding people and not punishing them, you know, for for following that lead so right it's an ongoing practice it's ongoing habits i think the psychological safety within kinexus is measurably very high in a generalized sense but that doesn't mean everybody feels perfectly safe all the time right so there's still a need for continuous improvement and you know i'll celebrate kinexus for really you know continuing to intentionally make that effort sorry i got up on a soapbox about these Ooh, that's great so no
2: This body of knowledge, I think, is also really important um, from an engagement standpoint. And that obviously is directly related to motivation. So I think.
0: Yeah. Um, One one other question here, I think if we have time, um, what are the references you have the habits forming from frequency, not over time, like the guitar example? Do you you each have another uh, quick example here before we wrap up? Maureen?
1: yeah, I'm trying to think of a, a real life example. I feel like the first thing coming to mind for me is um, I know I've used this example before, but you know in Kinexis, a lot of the work that we do it, it serves notifications and that'll say, okay, my peer made a comment or you know this project's moving forward or we need to you know get moving on this again. Um, I feel like I've really tried to make it a habit to log in and look at that every morning before I start diving into my emails, you know, if I just kind of let it go and maybe a couple of days, I'm I'm not looking at it, especially when I maybe was first starting to work here and your notifications pile up and you, you know, you're losing track of things. And I feel like it, it wasn't becoming a habit unless I directly made time and made a time in my day to really go through it and to stay on top of everything. I don't know if that's exactly what you're kind of looking for, but I just feel like that really proves the, like the frequency, the daily versus just like the sporadic checking has yeah. gone a long way for me in, in that case.
2: That's great. I think um I'll, I'll add to that. One of the reasons why I love nonfiction, especially regarding books like this, is that these authors have um kind of collated just a huge amount of literature, um, much of which is primary literature and put it in a easily digestible form. So the three books that we re-reference are heavily cited books if you're looking for kind of looking at the actual studies. Um, The other, I think another easy analogy um, to add to Morgan's is it's, you can't just work out for two days straight and then say, oh, well, that's my workout for the year. Um, It's far better to to work out for 30 minutes, three times a week and span that out over a a year. And so um, I think there's definitely, Um, it is far better to um, make sure that you're doing something at some kind of interval versus, um, you know, bundling, if if you will.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, with that, uh, we are out of time, unfortunately, but uh, Greg and Morgan, great job. Again, the third in the series on habits and habit loops. Thanks uh, to both of you for presenting. Thank you everybody for attending or if you're watching the recording, um, thank you. For doing that, so we're getting a lot of thank yous in the chat, um, emphasizing connections between, for example, psychological safety and trust, uh, a culture of safety, nurturing that with non-punitive, no-blame approaches can strengthen cooperation. To letting your staff feel safe, Um, so uh, come back for more uh, on that topic, on those topics in uh, our panel discussion coming up in in June. So thank you, everyone, to for attending, and um, we'll see you, Kai, next time.
1: Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Thanks.